who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy, you go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Bitches on Comics. That is where you are, that is where I am, that is where my other host is, that is where our guest <laughs> is. Welcome, good morning. It's morning for me, I don't know if you can tell, but I am a morning person, so therefore I am extremely excited, more excited than I usually am when we record at like 6 p.m. and I'm like getting ready to be in bed soon because, <laughs> you know, 6 p.m. is late. So <laughs> it's your bedtime. Yeah, I'm so good at intros. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Essie Fleetheart. I didn't say who I am. I never <laughs> even got to that. So I just wanted to tell people where I'm at emotionally first. But I am you know Sarah. It's a good place to start. <laughs> and I do have a co-host, which I believe you are. And I'm met. Sarah. I almost said I'm Sarah Century again. And I'm Essie Fleenor, not Sarah Century. Um, I'm losing my voice because I socialized outdoors <laughs> safely, but I talked to people, and apparently that's enough to take my entire voice from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what happened to Ariel in The Little Mermaid. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she was like, "I want to be a part of my own world away from all of these assholes," <laughs> and everyone just misinterpreted it. <laughs> You know what? That's how I feel. Anyways, I am super excited because today we have a guest we've had on before, the incredible Carmen Maria Machado. Hi, Carmen. How you doing? Hi. It's me. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's a me, a Carmen. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we are just so happy to have you here, listeners. You likely know who Carmen Maria Machado is. If you uh, don't necessarily remember, 
We will forgive you this once. Uh, Carmen was also on episode 131, The Filter of Non-Realism. And that's where we talked about your super cool comic, The Low Low Woods, which Sarah and I are huge fans of. We also got into her body and other parties um, in the dream house. Wow, we had like a really big conversation. We're like, so Carmen, let's just talk about your oeuvre. Let's get through the whole thing. Um, and then I remember very sweetly, I think it was actually, it might have been on mic, it might have been off mic. We somehow wandered into Jennifer's body land. And you were like, oh, if you ever want to talk about Jennifer's body, I'll come back to the pod. And like two seconds later, I emailed your assistant, Juliet. Juliet, thank you for arranging Shout out to Juliet. Juliet. And Juliet was like, oh, you're back. No, Juliet was lovely. (laughs) It was like, yeah, let's make this happen. Like, aren't you actually in the interview right now and you're emailing me? (laughs) Juliet's like, you could have given it 13 seconds. I'm like, actually, I couldn't. (laughs) It was now or literally never. Um, So, yes, we were obviously, we, we jumped at that chance. And the occasion, so to speak, for talking about a a film that, uh, you know, I don't even know. What year did it come out? 2009. Mm-hmm. 2009. So, so it's, it came out 13 years, years ago. Yeah. 13 years ago. Uh, the occasion, there is a timely occasion. I mean, it's always timely to talk about Jennifer's body, especially during spooky season. But also is because there's this amazing anthology of essays from queer perspectives about horror Film and TV, or is it just film? I've only read your essay so far, unfortunately. Uh, it's, 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 I think, exclusively film in this book. Okay. And uh, super cool, brought to us by The Feminist Press, which is an amazing publisher. Listeners, you might remember them because they also published Bishak Soam's memoir, Spellbound, which we are huge fans of. And so, you know, I wanted to start with learning about how did you get brought into this. I mean, Carmen, you're always writing. You write so many essays, so many stories. You're working on oh a novel. It's so TV. funny because I feel like I'm not writing anything right now. <laughs> so that's very sweet of you to say because I've literally just been like angsting over my lack of productivity for like weeks now. Um, but... I feel like those are the only two modes as a writer is like right. I'm writing too much or I'm mad at myself that I'm not writing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. I got looped into this anthology. Um, you know, I, I got a message from the editor who was like, you know, we'd love to include you in this book. And, you know, I, I tend to, I get invited to do a lot of things. Um, I sounds, I just, it's true. I, I get invited to do a lot of things and I say no to most of them because I literally am just like, I don't have time and I want to like have a life. And also I'm trying to write all my own stuff. Um, but Every so often, like, a project will come along where I'm like, oh, I actually have so many thoughts about that. And, like, I could write an essay about this with my, you know, with my eyes closed because it's, like, already a subject that I've I've been giving a lot of thought to anyway. So it actually wouldn't be that hard for me to write it. Um, And this is an example of that where I was like, oh, my God, I have so many thoughts. And immediately I was like, they were like, you know, pitch us some some possible movies. And I was like, Jennifer's Body. And they were like, any other? And I was like, no, Jennifer's Body. (laughs) Like, I was like... That is the, I, I, it's that or nothing. And they were like, great, it's yours. And I was like, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I was very insistent. And so, yeah, and I, it just was a, you know, a, a movie that I have a really like interesting uh, relationship with. And I actually had a lot of thoughts sort of had, had already had a lot of thoughts about sort of the, the reception of the movie and the way that specifically queer people talk about this movie and sort of related phenomena of ideas of queer baiting, which is like an, I have a lot of thoughts about. Um, And so, yeah, so the essay just became Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. It like was very easy to write. Like it took me like a day, you know, because I was just like, yeah, I, I already am thinking about this. It, you know, I mean, I had to rewatch Jennifer's Body. We watched it like three or four times in the course of like two weeks, which was delightful. I made like everybody in my life watch it with me, rewatch it with me. Um, people who hadn't seen it. Cause I was like, it's so perfect. And I just want to share it with you. And also I have to write about it. So I have to like keep watching it and, you know, absorbing it and thinking about it and writing stuff down. And um, yeah. And it just, and that the rest is history, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the wildest things about that movie to me is how incredibly dismissive all of the contemporary reviews of it were and how they're hard to read you know like you read them and you're like oh Oh, like the contemporaneous reviews yeah totally yeah yeah yeah. like the ones that were out uh, like whenever it came out and it was just it's like looking back literally painful like they're really hard to read for the most part I also made that observation because I was curious I was like I was like I remember the reviews of this movie being terrible but like am I you know just want to make sure that I was confirming that that was correct and I was also like flabbergasted by how bad the criticism was of this movie and I feel like it's they said are like just out of control yeah yeah no and just like not understanding anything about it Uh uh-huh you know (laughs) and 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 really insisting upon it yeah no that's it right (laughs) like they're so so set on being like I will not get this right exactly (laughs) just like exactly stunned but what I also thought was really interesting is there's obviously your essay But there has been so much talk around this movie in, you know, the last few years, like now that it's being kind of rediscovered and everything to the point where it's, you know, your specific essay is talking a lot about people talking about the queer baiting, which we'll definitely get into more. Once again, not to agree necessarily with that term, but I would say that not just that there's all of these different takes on it so what i find to be yeah. really interesting is how dismissive it was and then you look now how the criticism around this movie just spans so many subjects <laughs> that you're like this is a movie that was so rife for criticism so it is it makes it almost more egregious in a weird way where you're like wow, you couldn't think of anything to say. And now we have, you know, people could write a whole book about this movie, I feel like. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I think it also has made me think a lot about, like, I remember I gave an interview about this essay and about this movie uh, a few months ago. And I was saying to the interviewer, like, you know, it kind of reminds me about how when I saw a movie that I saw uh, I guess it was last year now. Was it last? God, I feel like time. What is time? Recently, <laughs> a movie that I saw that I was really shocked by the reviews and to the point where I was so mad I wrote my own essay about it was um, mm-hmm. Promising Young Woman, which I also feel like is a movie that like was really like panned in this way that I found incredibly surprising. And I just had yeah. this experience of going through the reviews of it being like, wrong, wrong, wrong. Like I would read <laughs> the reviews and I would just be like, I'm, I'm really like astonished by some of these perspectives and it got me so, it was made me so mad that I then like literally pitched and wrote an essay for the New Yorker about this movie (laughs) because I was like, I just feel like, but I do feel like the experience of like, you know, watching being like, I think this movie is going to age into itself. And I think that it's just like saying stuff that people are not ready to sort of hear, which I think is also true of Jennifer's body where it was just Mm -hmm. like, you know, saying all these things, not just about queerness, but about like, trauma and like you know like um you know uh like sort of big disasters and like sort of this sappy sentimentality around around sort of shared public tragedies and you know there's just like all this stuff that's sort of being laid out and I think people just weren't ready for it and so it's been really interesting right watching people kind of come into the movie like grow into the movie and yeah it's sort of like 
I mean, I feel like, so we're now we're at 13 years, but like, I feel like 10 years ago, I feel like 2019, like people were already, you know, kind of like on the 10 year anniversary of this movie being like, eh, like maybe we were really being sexist and maybe people were wrong about this film. Um, and so it's kind of nice to be able to like see that happen uh, in kind of real time, you know? Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're saying whenever you're talking about just going through reviews and being like, disagree, <laughs> don't like this opinion. Because I pretty recently, like the Killing Eve finale, I kind of felt the same way about where people like were just kind of panning it and just like, this didn't give us what we wanted. And it's like, sometimes things don't. <laughs> like, I think, you know, I wonder if not to like go super off topic, but I do think that there is something about like our current status of like, I don't even know what to call it, like fan culture that feels like kind of unmoored from like, it's like, it's like as an artist, I have like lots of complicated feelings about it because I think that people Mm -hmm. do, do want certain experiences. And like, I'm not saying that like creators are like, you know, not able to do things incorrectly. And I'm not saying that they can't like, you know, fuck up in some interesting way or bad way. Um, But I do think that like, there's this, thing about being an artist which is like you can't write for everybody you can't please everybody and ultimately you're sort of doing something for yourself and I think that like if you try to think about what everybody else wants from you as a creator you'll go crazy because it's like literally impossible to like write to create something for a lot of other people right so ultimately you're like have to please yourself and so yeah I feel like there's this thing where like people want stuff from narrative from shows and movies and books and you know god god help me but like intellectual properties you know and it's like interesting to sort of watch how that's become so muddied and I think that there is something kind of like strange about that and I think it it complicates like how artists are able to tell stories which is just it's a weird time to be alive and making stuff I think so too yeah. <laughs> and it's like you'll see it uh, in genres where you're really actually very surprised by it where you're like wait horror you're like you watched a horror movie and you're like mad that it didn't do the thing that you wanted it to do and give you like a happy ending like that seems um well established in the <laughs> history of horror that you're not always gonna get you know the thing that you wanted out of it I guess but, but that gives you something different like I don't know But I was going to ask, talking about queer horror, like you mentioned in the essay that you are a big fan of a lot of queer horror properties. So I was wondering, um, you know, Jennifer's body is such a big one, but were there others kind of like leading in? Are are there other queer horror movies that you would put on kind of the same tier as Jennifer's body? I mean, Jennifer's body has a distinct soft space in my mind. Like it's, 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 it it is, does it occupy its own kind of like... (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of hard to compare them. I mean, I feel like there are other horror movies that have sort of spoken to me in really intense ways that maybe that I don't have as good of a sense of like what they're like the sort of the social space they occupy. So like Hellraiser is a really good example. Like I love Hellraiser. Mm -hmm. I feel like the intense sort of kinky queer energy of Hellraiser is like so distinct. I don't actually know like what how people read Hellraiser when it came out because I was it came out when I was one year old so like I don't, right, I don't yeah. know it's so just like sadistic and and beautiful and weird and like yeah just so kind of and I'm just like I just love it I love that energy and I just I don't know I also just love movies like I like queer villains you know I mm-hmm. mean I talk about this I mean also like another maybe another good one would be like you know Stranger by the Lake which I actually talk about in my memoir when I talk about kind of queer villainry and like, you know, I think that there's this like branch of 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 thought 
well, it can be thought as a strong word, but this sort of perspective that people have where they're like, ugh, like it's awful how there are all these like gay villains, like villains shouldn't be gay. And I'm like, actually, I love gay villains. I think they're great. Yeah. Like, I think they're like Same. really Sarah interesting. Sarah and I talk about like, this all the time because we're yeah. like, yeah. Why, do you, why can't we be everything? You know, yeah. we want to be all the things, especially like the campy, bitchy villain. Like that's awesome. <laughs> totally. Yeah. What about your own bad side? Like that's the thing. Right. I feel like when people want stuff like that, then they don't look at their own bad side. Right. And I, that concerns me. <laughs> like, right. That makes totally. Me be like, you have to know yourself and you have to know the people that you've interacted with. Like we've all known an evil gay for sure. We've all been <laughs> the evil gay for sure, you know? And it's like, yeah. you, you should like maybe tackle that, deal with it, you know, not be that person, but that yeah. doesn't mean that that person doesn't exist in us. Right. So I always think about that whenever I'm thinking about queer villains, because it's like, yeah, of course, whenever it was, you know, 150 years of queer villains and only queer villains, then yeah, that was kind of bad, right? But that's really not the case anymore. No, of course. Like, you know, and the problem is that like when like queer becomes shorthand for villainry. Yeah. Okay. So like then, like, I mean, the problem is obvious on its face. It's like, okay, so you have like, you, you don't want to like make this connection as like, if you have a villain, they must be gay or like queer characters, the only queer characters that appear are villains. But also I find even historically gay villains are really interesting. Like, I love mm -hmm. Mrs. Danvers from Rebecca. You know what I mean? I love like, Mrs. Danvers. Right. Like, <laughs> it's such a good, it's such a good, and it's like, yeah, that's a problem. But also, like, I don't know. Like, I'm like, it's fine. <laughs> the, the read from the novel to the movie is, like, such a different right. one, I think, because I feel like yeah. in the novel, it's kind of her coming to grips with the fact that eventually she is going to have to move on from Rebecca. And mm -hmm. then in the movie, it's just like, I'm going to set this whole house on fire <laughs> right right like, totally totally which I'm honestly like that image of her in the burning house mm -hmm, you're just mm -hmm. like this is maybe one of the most iconic movie or like the moments in film at all totally. like ever so I don't know it's like yeah maybe I don't want to hang out with Mrs. Danvers but like maybe I do you know like I don't know but yeah, yeah, I love her like that's the thing a lot of the classics I actually wrote about this before where it was like you go through and you find these kind of like femme fatale types that are very queer coded and old like Hollywood film. And they're always the most interesting. Like you can't stop thinking about them through the movie because you're like, what, what's she doing? though? <laughs> like, this is what I'm saying is I feel like also queer villains are always the most interesting people on the screen. And I'm like mm -hmm. that. I think that's really good for us. Honestly, I think that's great press for being gay where it's like, <laughs> it's like you could be like the worst character, like the, the most like, you know, morally bankrupt character. And like, people will not stop looking at you because they're like Serious. riveted by you. And like, I'm Lesbian like, that vampires, is vampires, right? Right. Like, exactly. Exactly. I was thinking about that with like, particularly with bisexual villainy. I was thinking about cat people, the main character whose name, Sarah, what is it? Irene. Irene is such a good by villain and like her just like the way that she haunts them you know what I mean like she's just so fascinating in her sexuality and the way she shows up on the screen and the way that it's implied the sort of she's haunted she's haunting and I feel that with Jennifer's body too the sort of she's haunted and she's haunting and I love that I don't know why that's particularly by or maybe that's just how it's applied but like that that duality to me is so <laughs> fucking beautiful and like 
oh, captivating. I'm just, I can't get enough of it. I'm like, oh, yes. Well, I think, I think that part of what it is about a bi villain specifically, and again, like, this is not a statement on, like, bisexuality as an actual practice, but, like, just as an idea, is that bisexuality more than monosexuality, so more than, like, homosexuality or heterosexuality, is, it's rapacious, right? Or this idea is that it, it sort of, it's like, it's this hunger that is like unbound by concepts of gender, you know? And so I feel like that's what makes a bi villain feel especially acute, like even more than like a lesbian villain or a gay villain or a straight villain, because there's just this sense of like, yeah, rapaciousness. I don't know really what other word to use, but. Well, and I was saying like an unpredictability, right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Someone can fuck anybody in the room and someone can kill anybody in the room. And Mm. you kind of want them to fuck you and you kind of want them to kill you. Right. But you kind of, you definitely don't want them to kill you. And you definitely shouldn't want them to fuck you. Like, that's, (laughs) that's really rich. There's lots of layers there. And I, I love, as a bi person, like, I love that because I, you know, I think, as a human being who's alive with a sexuality, spend a lot of time being like, you know, bi people are just people. But then in my head, <laughs> I'm like, we're here to take your genders. We're here to take your sexualities. Mm-hmm. We're going to show you things you didn't want to know about yourself. Obviously, mm-hmm. again, in my head, and then I guess on my podcast, that is how <laughs> I feel about bisexuality. Because <laughs> I think mm-hmm. it is... It's such a threat to—and and you get into this in your essay, Carmen—into cis-heteronormativity. It's such a threat of the patriarchy. It's such a threat because it isn't—it's not either or. And so the, the danger, right—and I'm using scare quotes because obviously we all know there's nothing dangerous about bisexuality. But the danger to a cis-heteronormative patriarchy is, wait, you're, you're sort of unsettling the very basis of what we have here. Right. And I think—and there's just something very— I mean, I talk in the essay, I, I'm, I'm sort of quoting some theorists, but I'm talking about like, you know, rupture or like the intention of being lost. And it's like, you know, queerness, it really is this, you're walking away from something. And that's true whether you're, you know, a lesbian or gay or you're bi or queer or whatever, like whatever way you think about it, you are walking away from something that's really fixed. And I just, you know, and as like a, I mean, I don't really describe myself necessarily. I prefer queer to bisexual just to describe myself personally. But I, yeah, I feel like that is, there is something really sort of potent and interesting about that, regardless of, you know, how it manifests, even in terms of relationships. So like, you know, even if you are a bi person who like is dating, say like a person of the opposite gender, however you define that, um, like there is still this intention of being lost. Like it still exists. And so there is something like different. Yeah, I was wondering how you feel about the interactions between the two girls in the movie, because I think that they have such a fascinating dynamic and it's kind of interesting how things go, right? Because even though they become adversarial, I feel like by the end, they're kind of doing the same thing, right? So I was interested. How did you feel about that and how it manifests in the movie? I mean, I think so much of that movie is about I mean, the thing that I think makes it work, like the engine between the two of them is this like lifelong relationship of like give and take and supplication, you know? So like there's Mm -hmm. that scene that like a flashback where the girls are like in the sandbox and um, Jennifer cuts her hand on something and Needy like puts her mouth to it to like make it better, you know? And, you know, the various scenes where they sort of show these flashbacks with the two girls is really 
setting up a dynamic of like, you know, one sort of figure who sort of looms large and that's Jennifer, right? And then this sort of girl who exists kind of on the other side of it. And like, again, like even in the beginning, she's like, you know, she's the hottie, I'm the dork. Like that, you know, that's like the energy of the movie. Um, But they're really good friends, like through that, right? They've been friends since they were children. They have this strong connection, but like they're always sort of like skittering along this line of this power dynamic, you know, and which is super hot and also like really interesting. Um, And like, and, you know, also feels like very true to life in terms of just friendships, period. And also, especially like early friendships, Um, but also all friends, that can happen literally whenever. But then when you also contextualize it in terms of sexuality, where it's like you also have these two these two sort of people who are like in in many ways like growing. I mean, I sort of say in the essay, like you imagine that if they had lived or, you know, I mean, Needy lives, but you know, if Jennifer had lived sort of beyond her teenage years and if Needy, we saw saw Needy, like they probably would be expressing their queerness in really different ways like because they seem to have Mm -hmm. a different relationship with their desire and like with what they want, you know? And so I don't know. I feel like you're just seeing what is actually, I think this is also why it's so compelling is like you're seeing like a friendship with like a very understandable and ordinary dynamic. And you're also seeing that in the context of like two queer, but like queer in maybe different ways slightly, people who are like coming to understand something about their their bodies and their desires. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously with all like a horror lens with this like really ridiculous plot <laughs> sort of like layered right. on top, which is like what makes it so, because it's not obvious, that's what it is, right? It's like it requires you to kind of like peel away like, you know, the d- demonic possession and the, the like, you know, the, 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 the human sacrifice and the Satanists and the, you know, it like requires you to kind of peel that away, but that's kind of what's underneath. Yeah, I, what I find to be maybe one of the most interesting things, because as you were saying, Needy is very much, even though I believe is pretty much the protagonist of the film, I think most of the stories told from totally, her perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting because the whole time she's really trying to emphasize what a meek person she is. And then in Jennifer's absence at the end, she essentially becomes Jennifer. She's killing the band. Like she's doing all of the things that... I do feel that Jennifer would have done. And I think that there's just something absolutely fascinating about that interaction between them because we all do that in a weird way. Like we'll have these friendships that'll be really intense. And sometimes when those friendships end, you know, that doesn't exist in your life anymore. That person doesn't exist in your life anymore. And so you kind of start to step into that role for yourself or you take kind of the things that you liked about that I think that's a really good point. And I think that's true even if, I mean, I think obviously the rupture, like the big dramatic friend breakup that yeah. is, which is like a really queer thing, I think, oh where it's God, like, yeah. you know, that is that is queer on its own. But I think that's also just true even of friendships that don't break up. Like I actually, like I sort of always tell people that like, you know, when I went to college, I like didn't understand that I was queer, even though I'd been, in retrospect, I was being doing queer things and having queer thoughts for a very long time. But I remember like getting to college and meeting my friend Anne and Anne was like, had like, short dyed hair and like was just kind of like punky and weird and she was like I'm bisexual and I was like I don't know what you are exactly but I want to be whatever you are (laughs) like I remember just like having this incredibly clear thought of like wait that's what I am and it was like the first moment that I had like a really clear understanding of my own queerness and it was just literally like looking at another person and how they were manifesting in front of me and I was like oh my god like that's what you know and it like was my first sort of understanding of that um as like a you know as like a as like a identity and so I feel like yeah there is in some ways right it's like Jennifer and Jennifer you know she's she dies like you know she which is like really 
sad. I mean, it's funny because she's such Obviously a, like... Obviously sad, yeah. It's super sad. I mean, I feel like the scene where you sort of see the flashback where Jennifer's getting sacrificed and she's, like, crying. Like, it's actually, like, really intense. And it's, like, you know, it's partially a story about a friendship, right? That it, they are having this big friend breakup and it is this, like, loss that's, like, spurned by this, like, horrible, violent act. Um, even though the film is, like, campy and, like, sort of plays it in this kind of weird, campy way. Like, it is really sad. But then also, right, you're getting to see Needy become her own monster, and, like, come mm-hmm. into herself as a person, which is, like, really beautiful. Well, and there was something that both of you have said here that I kept thinking about, which is, like, I think the perennial bisexual problem of, like, I can't tell if I want to be them or fuck them. And, and like, that, <laughs> that tension, right, I actually think is a really, like, totally. bi experience. And I think, you know, lots of other people probably have it, too. But because of the sort of, like, the sort of voracious, there's this moment where Jennifer's like, mm, chips looking, oh, what does she say? Spicy? Is that the word? Or salty, salty, salty. I think. Yeah, chips she loves to say salty that. salty to me. And you're like, oh my God, Jennifer, <laughs> you are the worst <laughs> and you're amazing because yeah, it's, this, yeah. it's this double desire, right? She both wants needy and she wants what needy wants. And she wants to right, take what needy right. wants from her. And she wants to take needy. And it's like, it's all like this raw libido. And I, 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 you know, you all were talking about, you know, having to dig through the layers of the demon possession. And I'm like, oh, my God. Sometimes I feel like the demon possession is the bisexuality. <laughs> like, she is, I think I would argue, bi before that moment. Um, there's just certain little things, as you've pointed out, Carmen, the the hand, the, the way that they look at each other when she's in color guard, like, too cute. But there's this, like, way that it's, like, it goes from maybe being, like, just figuring itself out into like full engine, right? It's what drives her forward. And I, I don't know. I'm all about like any metaphor that makes gender or sexuality like uh, demonic or evil or what have you. Because for me, I was this very Christian, very lost, very like I'm I'm a good girl. And mm-hmm. <laughs> the mm-hmm. experience of discovering first my sexuality, then my gender – and realizing they were always there was kind of like, oh, my God, there was this demon with me all the time. You know, through yeah. my healing, through my own leaving of that that religious tradition, I have sort of a love for those demons. But there's a reason I never leave the occult and horror very far behind. Right. <laughs> They're very rich metaphors for something that is, again, as you say, that rupture really did rupture my life. It broke it open to realize yeah. I was attracted to another woman in, in school. You know, it was huge to be like, oh my God, there's a word for the way that I felt about how my parents would talk to me about being a lady, which was horrible. Oh, actually it turns out non-binary, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Those, those things, mm-hmm. they're funny and they're also this huge life-changing moment. And that's what I felt when she gets stabbed by the fucking low-shoulder Satanists. And they're like yeah. singing, Jenny, I got your number. And they're fucking mm-hmm. stabbing her. And I was like... If that isn't the hilarity and the horror of finding oneself in this, like, pastiche moment, I just don't know what is. Yeah. I mean, I think also the reason that, like, bisexuality specifically, I think, offers this confusion about, like, if you want to fuck somebody or be somebody is also because I feel like, I mean, I guess I also, like, as as a not monosexual, I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but a lot of my relationships have been with people who have been like, oh, at some point I realized, like, kissing, I felt nothing when I kissed a man. Like, I felt like it was like kissing a tree, you know? And then I kissed a woman and I was like, oh my God, this is everything I've ever wanted. And, like, I feel like for some people there is this experience of, like, you realize, like, you do not want one thing, but you want the other. But I think that with, or, you know, and obviously 
all this is like assuming, I mean, gender is a spectrum, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I mean, I understand, but like, it's like, I feel like, you know, you, there's this moment where you're sort of like, well, this one thing speaks to me and this other thing does not speak to me. And that's one kind of experience. But I think that with queerness or bisexuality, where you do actually have a person for whom like you're like attracted to lots of different kinds of people, like it is weird because it doesn't feel as clear cut. Do you know what I mean? Because like, I also had crushes on boys. And I think one of the reasons that I didn't maybe automatically assume that I was gay or queer was because I was like, well, I like boys. And like, I don't like boys. You know, that's not, you know, when I was like a teenager, um, I just didn't understand that there was this like this yes and. And I think like the yes and was the thing that I was looking for. Um, and I didn't have any kind of clear sort of like narrative for when I was, again, like trying to figure out what the hell was going on with me, you know? Well, and I think this is a perfect segue to something you talk about in the essay. You actually quote Katy Perry. You talk about, yeah. um, oh God, that line is so good, right? I like the taste of her cherry chapstick. There's the taste of her cherry chapstick. Yeah, it's so oh. good. It's such a good line. Oh, God damn it. I remember when that came out, I was upset about it because I had just figured out I was bi. And so I was like mad. I was like, wait, is she bi or not? I want answers, which is obviously yeah. not the point of the song. <laughs> but it was the point of my own longing. <laughs> well, I think, and like, I think also specifically, like, I don't know how old y'all are, but like, I'm 36. So like, I kind of came of age in the early aughts and like, you know, I feel like there was just this moment. I mean, I talk about Katy Perry. I talk about like, you know, Jennifer, uh, Jennifer, uh, Britney Spears and <laughs> Christina Aguilera's kiss. Yes. At the, was, it the, was it the VMAs that that happened? And like, just these sort of moments of like public expressions of queer, I don't know what to call it. And it's funny because I feel like people get very like on their high horse about these things. They're like, oh, like performative lesbianism. It's such a problem. It's like terrible. It's queer baiting. It's a, and I'm like, but like, I don't know how to express to you that when you're like a closeted <laughs> queer teen and you like, you're like, wow, that made me feel some kind of way, you know? And I mean, so much of the essay is about how like, you know, a lot of what we are and what we want is like unknown to us. And I think yes. that there's not a lot of grace kind of given to the like not knowing or like not fully understanding something about yourself. And there were times in my life when people asked me if I was queer and I said no, but it wasn't because I was like in the closet or I wasn't like hiding something. It was because I like didn't understand, you know? And I think that it's a thing that's hard to explain and like not to be like young people these days, not to be like that person. But I do think like, I, I, just, I, I wish I could express like that it is this like weird journey. And like, you know, I am 36 and like there's stuff about my sexuality that I'm still learning like right now, you know? And that's kind of, I mean, it's terrifying. It's really stressful, <laughs> but it's like really nice, you know, to be like, oh, that journey's never over. Like you're always sort of beginning to understand things about yourself and your desire and your body and your wants and your mind. And like, that's like a lifelong process. And I just feel like there's just not a lot of, I don't have a lot of patience for like judgment about that sort of thing. I've just really lost all patience for it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Well, well, hello there. I didn't see you come in. Welcome to the episode. This is S.E. Flinor, and I'd like to ask a favor of you today. Can you do me a favor? Are you open to a favor? I Does mean, it feel weird for me to ask you for a favor? I have a curfew. I have to be back in um, by <laughs> 7 p.m., but right now it's about a little bit afternoon, so I think I've got some time. <laughs> Why do you have a curfew? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. I guess I never really <laughs> questioned it. It's the cats. The cats gave you a curfew. Yeah, like, pretty much. Better have your bitch ass back here by 7 p.m. to feed me. Also, being a grandma, like, I am 100% grandma uh, sleeping schedule. So I'm like, mm, 8 p.m., pretty late. Seems like time for a nap slash bedtime. Anyway, the point is... <laughs> Okay, if you're going to do me the favor, whether or not you have a curfew, that favor is, can you go rate and review of the pod? Give us five stars. You could just say, oh man, bitches are cool. That's great. We love that. You could say, oh man, I've never loved Harley Quinn more. I'd be surprised, but I'd be okay with it. You could go in and say, wow, these interviews, they blow my mind. Or whatever you want to say. And now listen, hey, I know not every platform allows you to rate and review. For instance, I don't think Schmadashmai does, but you know what does? Schmapple. Schmashmasher. <laughs> so go over there. I'm not giving them free ads. Go over there, rate and review. <laughs> and guess what? You don't even have to listen to us on those apps to rate and review us there. Don't tell anyone I told you or tell everyone. Let's game the system, y'all. So rate and review us. Five stars. <laughs> I was going to say five stars for each bitch. 
<laughs> but there's so many of us that'd be like a that'd be like a billion stars. So give us a billion stars on your favorite podcast platform or Schmachmacher or Schmapple. <laughs> Schmapple while you're drinking a Snapple. something you said in there that I think I've been really sitting with, which is the concept of not knowing. And that's just, Mm -hmm. it's something that our society, I think many societies are really resistant to, you know, people want a clear label. They want a clear box to put you in. And I think bisexual kind of fucks with those boxes, right? Like we Mm -hmm. know that it Mm -hmm. makes people uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because it's not like, oh, I know you'll have a wife. I know you'll have a husband. You know, throw in polyamory, throw in gender diversity. And we've got layers and layers of unknowing. And this is another piece in your essay that really stood out to me is, is you said something to the effect of, you know, we look down upon exploration, experimentation, and we say those are bad things. But because we're trying to defend ourselves. And so we we take this sort of born this way narrative. And I, I'm totally on the same page in that I think so much of what we need is for people to explore who we are, what our genders mean, what our sexualities mean, because how could you know? And we live in a, you know, compulsory heterosexuality is real. And so if I have, have attractions to people that would make me quote unquote straight, which being a non-binary person, I would love to know anyone's definition of what right. That I was is. gonna say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just let's suspend that layer. Mm-hmm. But like the straight appearance, like if I don't know that it's okay, or if I don't see women kissing on screen, even if it is, I don't even know, performative, let's say. Like, how how do I know those possibilities exist growing in in small town Colorado where I'm forced to go to church three times a week? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's just Mm -hmm. a whole world beyond my my knowing. And so it's almost like we got to, like, allow the not knowing to let people go into knowing. That might be Mm -hmm. gibberish, but in my mind, it made sense. No, totally, totally. That I mean, That's literally the path. It's like, you don't know until you know. That's how knowledge works. Like, that's how, like, understanding yeah. works. It's like, most people, like, I think the word ignorant has this, like, really, like, weird connotation that's, like, very complicated. But I think that, like, we are all ignorant until we're not ignorant anymore. Like, we don't, we, we like, don't understand something until we understand it. I mean, if, I mean, assuming we, t- I mean, some people say not understanding, like that is a reality also, but like, <laughs> you know, it's like, you don't, you aren't just born knowing something. Like, it's just, that's just not how it is. Like, there's just, I don't know. And I, I just, I want grace and I especially want grace, like for queer people from other queer people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just feel like, you know, I want there to be like less judgment and I think just more, yeah, more grace and to me, this movie is such a perfect embodiment of that because it is like, it, it so acutely kind of gets at these things. And also, also like, you know, uh, Megan Fox, who is obviously like a lot of the hatred of this movie, the contemporaneous hatred of the movie was directed at her because of like sexism and like fucked up Hollywood shit. But also like, she's queer, you know, and has like yeah. talked extensively about like how hot she found the kissing scene, like how, in, you know, so like, what a what a gift that we got to have this like incredible performance from this like amazing actress who like did an incredible job and also was like yeah it was like this it was like a piece of like her own queer experience like queer actress being to getting to play this like iconic queer character and like what a what a fucking gift you know like what what a thing that we had that like we did not appreciate at the time 
I was going to say, yeah, a lot of the stuff around Megan Fox is really interesting because very much many of the things that you just said, I have read interviews with her over the years where she'll say things like, I don't necessarily think that feminism is meant for people like me, though I do identify for as a feminist. And I think that that has something like she doesn't feel welcomed by feminism or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like she identifies Mm -hmm. that way and she believes in the practices, but she feels judged if she says that she's a feminist, perhaps even by other feminists. And I think that there is something really interesting about that. And I think perhaps also applies to maybe her sexuality. That is a complete, you know, me saying she's not said that, but I think that there's something very interesting about what you're saying, giving people the grace, giving people this, any person could be a feminist, right? Like you would think. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I am interested whenever she has these interviews because I do think that it speaks to what you're saying as that she was very badly judged by a lot of people, but she was judged by a lot of like women and queer people as well. And that is kind of the more complicated part of Jennifer's body, right? <laughs> Where you're just like, Even in the movie, you know, she's being judged by people who like maybe are just sick of having to be the one who extends the hand to help or something like that. But it's also people who just kind of have lost patience. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Megan Fox. But I saw a a bunch of interviews with her and I'm really glad that I think it, it feels like it's really come around. Right. So I think that that's kind of the best thing. That's like the wholesome part of the story is you know, now it's something that I feel like they can be really proud of. I saw an interview with her and I believe it was uh, Diablo, but they were just kind of talking about it. And it just seems like a cathartic experience for both of them. And that made me feel really good. Yeah. So I, you know, thinking about the performativity piece, um, I, I, you know, it was just bisexual visibility week and some people decided that meant it was time to gatekeep bisexuality. Wait, what? No, wait, I don't. Oh, God. Do I even want to know? You do. You do because because the, the last stroke is the best part. So okay. someone okay. like sent out a tweet and was like, here are celebrities who say they're bi but have never been in a relationship with a person of the same gender. No! No! Someone did not send that. Oh, my someone fucking did that. Christ. <laughs> this is why I'm not. It's you're right. You're right to not be on Twitter. You're right. Okay. That's why I'm you're not on Twitter. Right. That makes me want to throw my computer across the room. I am yeah. sorry. I'm sorry for screaming I promise, so no, loudly. Screaming is the right response. It's the right response. <laughs> oh it's what God. I did. And what was fucking beautiful is one of the people whose picture they put in it was Cardi B, and Cardi B retweeted it and said, "I've been eating out bitches or pussy. I can't remember which one oh since God. before you were born." Sorry, <laughs> sorry, I didn't have my Nokia phone photo of it to prove it. And I was like, that's the bisexual anthem. That's the bisexual yeah. anthem right there. Because yeah. as much as, and I'm so glad, you know, so this is what I, this is what brought me here is actually what you said about, you know, I'm so glad for Megan Fox that she's getting some vindication because this is such a fucking performance, such a beautiful film. There's so many layers happening. I find it deeply tragic and deeply hilarious. And I think those are hard things to conjure in general, let alone like in a, a cult horror film. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful thing. I love it so much. And this, this, but, but performativity and claims of performativity and this, this hyper focus on regulating and tallying up 
the lives of bisexual people isn't changing. I, I always, every year, I'm hoping it will, and, and, and it, there's just still this demand. And I get a piece of it I understand. I understand that a lot of folks in LGBTQ plus communities feel very much like they need to protect their identities. And I have a lot of love and support for that because I understand that it comes from a place of pain. It's, uh, it's, it's so strange, I think, with bisexuality because there's this, you know, the visibility week and then it turns into, but are you visible in the wrong <laughs> way? Are you visible in a way we do not think is appropriate for bisexuals? And I just want to know who's the council deciding what the appropriate way to be bisexual is? I mean, if there is a council, I want to be on it. You know but, what? But I also, think you should be in charge. I want to wear whatever outfit the bisexual council <laughs> is required to wear. Uh, you know, I imagine it's a lot of like bright colors. I'm imagining there's some like sure. sitting in seats the wrong way. Yeah, um, right. Exactly. Finger exactly. guns. But you know, it, it, it's it's weird to be in this point where we've we've you know, in some ways, Sarah and I talk about this a lot. We've come so far, right? Like, oh, we've all like the opinion on Jennifer's body has turned, but the opinion on individual bi people hasn't, right? There's still this show me your bi card. And I remember being in college and being like, I'm bi and and or queer. Those were like the terms I was using and still use to this day. And someone was like, that's really cute. It's really, really cute that you say that because it's clear that you're a lesbian. And I was like, wait, what? And then mm-hmm. I went to, uh, and then I, I was at a job and I was like, oh, I'm bi. And a, a queer woman was like, you're the straightest bisexual I've ever met. <gasps> I have also had someone say this to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you're yeah. like, oh, so I'm yeah. the queerest. I, I'm the, I'm the most lesbian straight person <laughs> and, and the least lesbian straight. I'm very confused about why you care so much. A B why, what? So there's just no win. You can't win for losing. I mean, I think and this just comes back to this idea of, like, grace again, because I just feel like, yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely had, it's so funny because I, you know, so much of my identity, I feel like I sort of, like, straddle a bunch of, like, identity spaces that, you know, it's like, whatever, I'm fine with it. I, like, I am, I mean, whatever, I'm just me. I'm, like, doing all, whatever, I'm just being me. But I do feel like <laughs> people really do, I think if people get uncomfortable, even other queer people are, like, you know, people that exist in sort of more, like, distinct and clear spaces get uncomfortable when somebody occupies like a middle ground. And, you know, I just wish that we didn't feel the need to like, you know, make people like to let that we just let people do what they're going to do. Yeah. And just be who they're going to be. Like, I don't know. I, I, it seems so obvious to me. And yet I, people really insist on doing everything else. Um, yeah, and leave Cardi B the fuck alone. I mean, uh, and like that piece of it too, like also, just, I mean, again, like whatever, I could start yelling for three hours about like weird performative social media bullshit. And like, I, you don't want me to do that. No one wants me to do that. <laughs> so I won't do it. But I, but I do feel like also just like, yeah, like also speaking of somebody who like, obviously does not have the profile of Cardi B, but somebody who like exists in a kind of public eye, like you also just like don't know people. I don't know. Like, I just feel like that's just like the audacity of that of that tweet is like honestly has like sent me back several inches I'm like sitting further away from my computer than I was before because I'm just like I cannot fathom also Twitter is horrible also it should be burned to the ground like what what could possibly possess you to do something or say something like that like I just don't understand yeah it's it's wild yeah you know I mean I think what I find hopeful you know if I'm gonna have a little silver lining is that I think more and more bi plus, let's say, bisexual plus, you know, queer, pan, what have you, folks are finding themselves in each other and 
creating space for that. You know, it's changed even mm-hmm. in the time that I've been, you know, a writer, the 10 years I've spent writing essays, you know, things have changed so much in that I'm, you know, I'm writing for by editors. And that feels really different. Getting to write for a by editor, it's like, okay, you get it. Mm-hmm. This is not, there's some things people want to be cut and dry and fixed that aren't. And attraction for me is one of those things where I can be shocked by something I am attracted or someone I am attracted to or some act I am intrigued by. And you were mentioning sort of that discovering new bounds of your sexuality, of yourself. And I I think that that's, to me, that's what's beautiful about it. That's what's beautiful about being you know, of of getting lost. That's how you were talking mm-hmm. about it. That's mm-hmm. what's so beautiful mm-hmm. about the lost part is like, I want to wander around in the not knowing. I want to wander around in the curiosity. And I'm going to find some no's and I'm going to find some yeses and I'm going to find some oh reallys about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? We all find the oh really? <laughs> oh really? <laughs> I wish that bless. That's like a blessing to put on your head. I'm like, I wish for you many. Oh, really? <laughs> right. I do. That's and when you talk about like you know queer youth and let's just broaden that LGBTQIA plus youth. Like that's what I want for them too. Is I'm like, you're fine, baby. <laughs> Yeah, You're fine, yeah. just the way you are, whatever you feel. And and guess what? I'm so sorry. That'll probably change. And yeah. I have known so many people who have been like, I am bi and I will always be bi. And then they'll be like, I'm a lesbian. I will always be a lesbian. And then three years later, they're like, you know what? I was right the first time. I'm bi. <laughs> I realized I was attracted to another man. And I'm like, this is great. This is yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't I want you to be fluid and growing and finding yourself and words that feel good for you? And then maybe they don't anymore. I just am disappointed that we're so, even within LGBTQIA plus communities, we are so, we, we want things fixed. You know, it Mm -hmm. reminds me of like the pronoun thing where if like you tell someone your pronouns, they're like, I'm going to memorize that and I will use that for the rest of time. Mm -hmm. It's like, ooh, I did change those again. And I'm sorry that that's going to break your whole worldview, but that's just the fluidity of of being alive, you know? So I don't know. I think it's, there's sort of these two well, probably many more than two, currents moving in the same time. There's this this demand for, are you really bi? And then I think there's a ton of bi plus folks who are like, oh, fuck you. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful too, you know? Yeah. yeah. I feel like Jennifer would say, oh, fuck you. you know? Yeah, so oh, totally. To well, she'd probably rip, rip their throat out. Actually. Even better. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> Listen, if Megan Fox wants to eat my soul, I'm in. You're like, yeah, got it. Yep. Not a problem. <laughs> Do you like this lipstick better? Should I change to a different mm-hmm, one? Mm-hmm, Whatever mm-hmm. you need. I love you. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. This conversation is cracking me up because I feel like I alternately have been, like, very shocked to find out how basic my sexuality is and, like, how there's <laughs> not. Like, as a kid. And, you like, don't want up, Jennifer to eat you alive? I is mean, that yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I'm not going to say no, you know? Like, I'm still <laughs> open to the experience. But I definitely have been, like, thinking this whole time, like, yeah, you can be somebody who has a fairly fixed identity and not expect other people to uphold that or to, like, fit into your worldview, too, in, like, a positive way. Like, you should be open at least to other people being open, right? It's kind right. of just, like, <laughs> one of those where, I don't know, like, I, whenever I was, like, young, I was just like, oh, yeah, like, I'm bi. And then, like, later I was like, you don't seem to like men at all. <laughs> like, and then later it was like, 
actually, yeah, you're not bi. But then it, it's, yeah, basically the exact opposite of everything you were just saying, but in a good way, because mm-hmm. we work together in this queer community. And I think that that is dead on something you do talk about in the essay, Carmen. And I was curious, you know, I know we only have a few minutes left, but I was wondering yeah. if I could get you to tease that out a bit. Sarah and I talk about this all the time. Sarah, I'm going to tell Carmen the joke, and then you can decide if you want it to actually be in the podcast. Okay. <laughs> what if, what if Sarah's— I'm so curious. So, <laughs> I know. So Sarah's a lesbian, and one of Sarah's favorite jokes is she's half bisexual. Because everyone always says bisexual people are like half lesbian, half straight. And oh, I think that's really funny. <laughs> But that is really funny. Wait, hold on. So you're a lesbian, but you're half bisexual. So is it you're a quarter? Wait. Oh, my God. Wait. Now I'm actually like, I'm like running through it. I'm like, no, that, honestly, that is a really funny joke. I really like that. Thank you. It kills me. It's also every that time. I'm like thinking about fractions. I'm like, is it like it's inverted? <laughs> That's it. Half bisexual. Does that make? Yeah, no, because no, no. Because none That's of so us good. are half of something. Like we just are right. ourselves. Like that That's is kind very of funny. I really like that. <laughs> but, and it's also kind of just a joke because of how people view bisexuals, which I've always found to be completely ridiculous. You know, it's totally. like, oh, you're half this, half of that, and it's like that is super not true of like any. <laughs> I never like look at at by people as like a math equation, right? Like it's <laughs> right, never right, just like, right. oh, like, uh, you know, the numbers flying in front of my face, right? Half of you belongs here. Because it's also not like you're like looking through your calendar, you're like, well, I've already gone out with a woman this month, so definitely I have to pick a man next. Like, it's not like, it's not like, that's not how it is. Like, it's not like half, 50% of the time, or you like stop halfway through, like have somebody, you're like, sorry, I've like used up all my mail time. My and now I need to return. Yeah, I've hit my quota precisely. Um, I feel like, uh, yeah, right. It's like, again, it's like just this, like, it's funny because it's like, you know, I'm thinking of myself as bi or queer. And it's like for a while, I mean, I haven't had sex with a cis man in a really long time. It's not out of the question. And like, occasionally I've had this thought where I'm like, am I just a lesbian now? But then like, I'll have a response to like a very attractive man where I'll be like, oh, oh, okay, never mind. Like, I definitely am still like (laughs) in this space. And I think there's just something kind of, yeah, again, like, yeah, there's just, I don't know, so much capacity for mystery. And I sort of love Mm. that, that embracing that and like leaning into that, leading into the, again, the, oh, really, which I'm going to steal. I'm going to use that forever. That's so good. Uh, (laughs) Please. Yes. Delightful corner to turn in your life. I know, right? Again, I'm going to squeeze every bit of juice out of the lemon that is carbon. I don't know why I called you a lemon. Uh, (laughs) I I take it back. Lemons are great. I'll make you a lime. I like limes a little better. Okay. Okay. I'm going to squeeze everything out of the lime that is this conversation. So it kind of goes back to where I started when I couldn't help myself but tell you how fucking hilarious Sarah is. But you talk a little bit about how bisexuality is sort of a transitional space for many queer people. Many queer people Mm -hmm. do go from because we live in a compulsory heterosexuality-driven society, go from straightness into bisexuality, into queerness, or, you know, whatever form of queerness that is for them. Some people, you know, find bisexuality and that is their home. And I felt like you handled it with such grace in the essay. And again, that gentleness, that lovingness that we're talking about bringing to people in general. But it is this big tension in many LGBTQI plus communities where people feel hurt that someone was bisexual and it is not. People feel upset that, or people doubt that people are bisexual. They feel like it is a transition. And I'm curious for you, you know, when you hold that sort of bigger picture of of transition, let's say, in a very specific context of sexuality, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. how 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 do you make sense of that? And 
how do we hold each other a little bit more gently? Well, I think the argument that I'm sort of making in the essay is that I like the idea of living in a world where we're so open about sexuality from the beginning that like, if you are like truly like a lesbian, say like you were like, I am not like, you know, what is that? It's five on the Kinsey scale, six on the Kinsey scale. Is it a six or a five? What's the top of the? Oh, I have no idea, but I'm excited. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's a six. Yeah. The only reason I know it's a six is because there is a drag troupe called the Kinsey Six, but it's S-I-C-K-S. That's literally the only reason I know, but it's a six. Very funny. Okay, great. So there are like, you know, obviously there are people who are like Kinsey Six, and that is like an experience that I wish that we lived in a world where you could just be like, like you knew that from the beginning. And oh, it was sure. just like, when you begin to think about sexuality, you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a Kinsey six, right? But we don't live in that world. We, we don't yet. We, I can't, I'm like, I don't know what that world looks like. And I can't imagine it's coming anytime soon. I like to imagine, but I just, I really don't think, don't think, even though I feel like obviously it's like really heartening to know how like queerness and gender identity and stuff are like thought about really differently now by young people than they were when like I was a young person. But like, I still don't think we're in that world and we'll be in that world for a while. So like there is a, there's a an existence that I can imagine where you could literally just be like, oh, I'm a lesbian. And like, just realize that off the bat immediately when you begin <laughs> having sexual thoughts and like, boom, that's it, right? But we don't live in that world. So like what I say in the essay is like most people pass through bisexuality like it's a like it's a body of water and like sometimes they stay there sometimes they are like nope nope keep going and like end up in some other harbor or some other like little inlet you know where it's like I'm going to like the lesbian cove or whatever I'm going to you know like like, I'm heading somewhere else you know but like (laughs) it is like it is it is a almost like a universal sexual experience for most queer people um to have existed in that space where you're like not quite sure or like you're like yes and like it existed at some point albeit however briefly and so I think that we have to just like it's that's the sort of piece of it that I feel like it's like yeah like it's this actually and like whether or not you stay there or not and you know in the essay I talk about this sort of very personal story about like how I was you know sort of an early experience of mine was like having this sort of brief sexual relationship with this woman who then later was like I'm not gay and like as far as I know it doesn't identify as gay like married a man I mean I haven't talked to her in a long time but like and it was like super painful when I was you know a young queer person like madly in love um but like also I think that as I've gotten older, I think I've, you know, reconceived of that whole sort of interaction is it's just like thing that requires more grace from me because I'm like, we just sometimes just don't know about ourselves. And like, I can't know the, I can't know the intentions or the feelings of another person. And like, I am not responsible for that. And I'm also not like, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't know it. Only they can know it. And so, you know, which is not to say that people can't like act badly or hurt feelings or be capricious or whatever. That is obviously possible. But I just think that there is something about like, sometimes you just don't know. And I think that assuming that bisexuality is either in itself a transitional phase or if somebody, you know, is saying it that it's not real or if somebody like, like, I I just, I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like it's just another opportunity for grace. And especially because it is really this like weirdly shared experience that most queer people, if not all have of just like not knowing, you know, for like a second, even if it's just like a second, even if it's just like one day because of compulsory heterosexuality, because you're like trained to believe this thing about yourself, there is always a moment of confusion. And maybe it's, if you're lucky, if you're like, like Kinsey six and you have like a day of confusion and then you're like, oh wait, (laughs) like that's great for you. It can last a lot longer than that, you know? But like, I don't know. To me, it just feels like this kind of beautiful shared bay that's like 
near all of us. And like, whether we're still there or not, like, I think it's actually, you know, to think about it in that way is just, I don't know. I just, that's how I want people to think about sexuality um, and not be so like gatekeepy and weird and judgy and like, you know, intense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, which is also not to say that like queer communities don't have their own challenges. Like, I feel like people are always sort of talking about like, like, I feel like there's like, there's like anxieties about like visibility and anxieties about like, what do you do if you're like a bisexual person and you have an opposite gender partner? Like, do they belong in Christmas or do they not? I mean, I feel like every, every community has its own challenges, right? Mm-hmm. And like bisexual people have their own challenges, especially when they're in opposite sex relationships, right? Or, or again, using that with air quotes because like, right. what is gender? <laughs> yeah. But like, you know what I mean? Like, like what yeah. people perceive, right? That's a challenge that you have and you have to figure that out. And that's like a fair conversation. But also I just feel like, I just feel like, I don't know. I just really want us to be loving and, and give each other the grace because no one else is going to give us that grace. Do you know what I mean? Straight people don't Absolutely. give a fuck. They don't care. So like, I think we owe each other like tenderness, the same tenderness that we would want delivered to us. Mm. Yes. And when you talk about <laughs> it as like a body of water, all I can picture is naked Megan Fox <laughs> swimming like oh, know, yeah. a shark, like like a the creature of the Black Lagoon, like every Baywatch. Like, it's all of it, you know? And you're just like, Yeah, oh. she just swims right by your boat. She's like, like, I'm bisexual you get like a, as fuck. What do you yeah, want? Yeah, you get like just a like, deep <laughs> shiver down your spine. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> like, should, I fo- should I follow her? Is that right? Yeah. Is that what I should do here? Oh my God. Carmen, this has been amazing. You've, I, I mean, my brain. I have so many things to think about. Uh, Sarah, I want to make sure, did you have any last little thing you want to do? No, basically, like, I, if this conversation could go for five hours, I would have five hours worth of things to say. So we exactly. can go ahead and cap it now. <laughs> I, like, I literally, like, there was maybe, like, 20 things that came up in my head while we were talking where I was like, I wonder what Carmen thinks about this. And maybe we could talk about this as a group. And it's like, <laughs> guess what? You can't. People have to go. I have things to do, too. Like, you can't. But I love this conversation. And I feel so grateful not only to have been able to talk to you, like, twice this year, But to be able to talk about one of my favorite movies, I love this movie and I am so happy to see like this collection of essays, I think is wonderful. I'm so excited to get through the rest of it. I've only read your essay so far, but they all look so good with so many amazing creators. Yeah, it's a it's a great anthology. And definitely if you're listening to this and you are like queer and interested in horror, like you need you need a copy of this book. Truly, it's it's excellent. And if you don't have a pencil, it's it came from the closet, but do not worry. We will have a link to it in the show notes. I'm a 5.9 on the Kinsey scale, and I'm going to be a 6 by the time I'm done reading this book. But <laughs> it's going to make me even queerer. <laughs> or maybe it'll be a 6.1. Maybe you'll oh, like no! some <laughs> She broke the like, scale! Right, right exactly. <laughs> Your queerness is too profound. Sounds about right. Broken everything. Sounds like me. Well, Carmen, if folks want to learn more about you online or follow you on social, I know you're not in the Twitter sphere. Bless you for that. I'm very (laughs) jealous. Where can people learn more about you? Um, I am on Instagram, the one social media I allow myself, um, though I could abandon it at any time if it becomes too stressful, because that's what I do now, as I leave social media that stresses me out. Um, mm. But yeah, I'm on Instagram as Carmen M. Machado, and my website is CarmenMariaMachado.com. So if you want to see like links to like stories I've written or essays or things like that is where that is where you should go. And of course, folks, don't forget it came from the closet, which you can pick up from Feminist Press. We will be linking to it in the show notes. Yes, I'm saying it again because I think it's required reading. And I, you know, again, Carmen, 
I'm flabbergasted. To have you on twice in a year feels ridiculous. But to get to talk about Jennifer's Body, one of Sarah's favorites, one of my favorite films, obviously a seminal work in horror and in queer horror and in bi-horror. And I'm going to be thinking about your essay, this movie, and, you know, and this whole conversation. I'm going to be, like, thinking about all the coves of lesbians I'm going to go to. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine those are real places. <laughs> I'm in the bisexual bay, but I also want to go to Lesbian Cove. I'm like, yeah, what's I'm over here? I just want to see what's up. <laughs> Listen, you're all invited to visit me anytime. You couldn't see me, but I was like craning my neck. I'm like, what are, what are they doing over there? Yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> well, again, this has been hanging out with our delightful. cats, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of cats in Lesbian Cove. Um, you know, good thing we like cats. All right. Well, thank you, listeners, for joining us today. Thank you, Kate, for making us sound great and cutting out weird parts. Sarah, you're the best. <laughs> Carmen, you're the best. Monica, we miss you. And patrons, thank you for being a patron. If you're not one, please join us so we can do more of this. Everybody, have a great day. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at Bitches on Comics and on Instagram at at Bitches on Comics. Our website is, brace yourself, bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes. And we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. 
Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales.